This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, artificial intelligence is changing the way we live. Marcus Gomez, Luminous Computing CEO, AI supercomputers, and how artificial intelligence could change the world. We also go to Odessa on the podcast in Ukraine with Dr. Hannah Shalist, the policy expert, gives us an update on the situation from inside the country and inside the city of Odessa, how Ukrainians are reacting to shows of support, and not only that, how they're getting by supporting each other, trying to create a little bit of normalcy in their lives. Can mushroom manure save your garden while Andy's going deep into the poop with Handy Andy Barrars, handyandymedia.com view of his garden outside that is literally made only up of poop. This is the Shift Podcast. Quite often, we have conversations about technology here on The Shift, and I love it. I love learning about new gadgets and geekery, which is ironic a little bit because we actually talk about being frugal just as much. And I'm not sure you can have both, uh, but maybe as technology starts to grow and change, we do start to get the ability to use technology to be more frugal. I know, maybe an oxymoron, but I'll take it for today. My guest right now is a guy named Marcus. Marcus has a dream, and Marcus is a nerd. Sorry, Marcus. Um, <laughs> I mean it affectionately. No offense taken. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean it affectionately. And so uh, you love computers. You love what computers are up to. And I love what your company is up to. Luminous is an organization. You are the computing CEO and one of the, uh, one of the, the, the fellas that got together and said, hey, we have an idea. Light, Marcus. Light is... Are we getting super philosophical here? Like, are we going to be talking about the light? And yet we kind of are and how the light yeah. saves the day, but we're also going to get super nerdy and talk about computers. Uh, help us understand what you're up to. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's super great to, to, to be on your show, Shane. Um, uh, so, you know, it's a really, so uh, in, in, in one sentence, we build AI supercomputers. Wow. Uh, oh, that's but all. To, to really, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but to, to, to really understand why you might, care about building a supercomputer for AI, you first have to really understand what's going on in AI. And it's a really exciting time to be in artificial intelligence. And I've been in this industry for over a decade now. Um, AI is doing things that used to be exclusively in the domain of human experts. Artificial intelligence can do these incredible things now. We can do things like play chess and play Go and play some pretty complex video games. We have artificial intelligence that can write poetry and can write code like software engineers. We have artificial intelligence algorithms that can generate speeches that sound like JFK or generate videos that sound like, uh, sound like President Obama. But, you know, it's interesting because there's this gap, right? You see all of these things happening. You see the papers about it. You see the you see the article and the articles in the pop science magazines and in Wired. And then on the flip side, there's still a steering wheel in your car, right? The self-driving cars aren't here yet, right? There's, uh, you know, their series still doesn't really answer sophisticated questions. It doesn't really work well. You know, the uh, we don't do AI based drug discovery yet. We don't uh, the, 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 we haven't eliminated putting humans in risky work environments with robots that we still we still put humans into mining situations and into construction situations. And, and so 
there's this gap between what artificial intelligence can do today and what you know the star trek future of artificial intelligence could look like mm-hmm. uh, that's fascinating and- for me by the way i think that that part is the, that's the cool part because we often say you know why don't we have robots doing all the hard stuff and uh, the yeah. dangerous stuff so we don't have to so what is the what is the biggest inhibiting factor and why aren't we there yet marcus because i look at this and i'm going to take this and translate this to the road um so we have cars today we talk a lot about electric cars we talk about all these things right self-driving cars like you just sort of mentioned and we talk about all those things but there's a certain point where we have to say okay well we have combustion engines and then we're looking at electric and okay so electric's really nice but we're still turning wheels and you know driving torque we're still driving on roads we've got distances to travel we're we're in uh, limited by where the road takes us at what point do we all start flying helicopters right so sometimes the future of driving is actually just not driving so that could be wheels that could be rubber wheels that could be train like back in the day that was train tracks right so what is it about chips and computers today that is the train tracks of old that has brought us to the so limiting to the roads of today which we're starting to find again now limiting which might be the flying cars of tomorrow so what's the inhibiting factor that's stopped us from getting there yeah, no, it's a great question. And and the answer is, and it's and it's going to sound kind of caveman-like, but the answer is is the 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 heart, the models are getting bigger faster than the hardware can. Mm. So let me be more specific about that. At a very basic level, the way that these modern artificial intelligence algorithms, they're called deep neural networks. And the way that these algorithms work is they, at, at a basic level, is they get better by getting bigger. And when I say better, I mean, you know, maybe maybe on an, an, any individual task, they get closer closer to perfection, but also better in the sense of they're able to do more and more complex things. Um, and they get better by getting bigger. And that single fact has driven all of the demand in compute over the past decade. So 10 years ago, the largest AI model that you could get your hands on, you could do what's called train it in about an hour on a single chip, on a single GPU. It was about, you know, call it 50 million parameters, which sounds big. It's not. You could fit that on a single chip. Today, the largest AI models in the world are borderline 10 to 20 trillion parameters. They take you know, up to a year to train across tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of machines. And so therein lies the problem, because a year is hitting the tractable amount of time that a human can comprehend running a science experiment. Right. Hundreds of thousands of machines. I mean, you're running out of space in the data center. You're running out of space. You're running, you're running out of money you can spend yeah. to fit inside yeah, just running parts out of power alone. in the data space, center. Uh, the basics yeah, of real space, estate. On, on space, time, human. Well, human it's safe to say that that's what crypto um, it has run into. Uh, would be that that power level consumption and real estate to do the, what cryptocurrencies are up to these days exactly. as well. I mean, they basically are they're out of they're out of room and they're becoming, um, frankly, um, uh, not helpful to some of the social causes around the world. So I see that that's that's incredible. Yeah. So what what's the so what's the problem? What's the solution? Because to me, it comes down to electricity. It comes down to you know we're trying to run the turbocharger on the Ford Focus 
too hard in order to be able to pull a semi trailer or a train, right? Like that's to me what what I see is that we're just running. We've just got too many turbos on on the old engine. It's time for a new engine. Yeah. So we build uh, custom artificial intelligence supercomputers. These are computers that are solely designed for modern artificial intelligence algorithms. And what our computers allow our users to do is build models that are a thousand times larger than what they can today, do things a hundred to a thousand times faster than what they can do today. And incidentally, we actually make it easier and cheaper as well due to some very clever tricks that we've tricks that we've incorporated in rethinking about how the computer should be designed. Hmm. So we, we give our users the order of magnitude improvements in performance that they're looking for and the order of magnitude improvements and complexity that they're looking for without making it any harder for the user to use the computer and without making it any more expensive than their existing solution. Okay. So how do we do that? How do we get that into people's mind that, that think of I'm going to Best Buy to buy a, a new laptop? Um, are we, are we talking about it even looking like a laptop or are we talking about it um, like being a complete reinvention or are we just down to the nuts and bolts like chips? No. So the, 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 the way to think about this is that this is a computer that goes into a data center. Um, so, uh, a, a lot of your listeners might, uh, might be interested in gaming, right? Right. They build, uh, they, and they might build their own gaming PCs at home. And in those gaming PCs are GPUs, mm-hmm. graphics processors. And right now, it turns out that these graphics processors are actually very, very good uh, for training modern machine learning, artificial intelligence really? algorithms. Uh, and so right now, it's actually, if you look at what most people are using to build their AI, it's NVIDIA GPUs. Really? Really? Hey, <laughs> yeah, it's really, is that it's just really, a delightful accident? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's because it turns out that the same type of math that you do for graphics rendering, it's very similar to the math that you do for modern machine learning. Really? At the end of the day, it's all vector processing. Cool. Uh, so luminous. So, oh, sorry, go so, ahead. So I what, thought you were done your thought. Please continue. Oh, no, 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 no. Um, all I was going to say was, you know, this is great and all, but the GPUs weren't designed to do machine learning. They were designed to render graphics. And so what we're doing is we're building a, a, a supercomputer that is actually custom built just for these artificial intelligence algorithms, um, built with the end artificial intelligence you know, algorithm developer in mind, built with their needs in mind, built with their constraints in mind, you know, built with their software tools in mind, um, and ultimately built to scale in the way that they want them to scale. Um, and amazing. so we, we've, we've built special purpose hardware as opposed to repurposing general purpose hardware. Yeah, we often don't think of electronics that way, right? That there are all people in the background that are doing all of these things in order to uh, to make it work. And again, I go back to cars because everyone understands cars in a combustion engine. There's some person who designed a ring that fits into a piston that happens to save all the horsepower and not break, right? There's there's yeah. an engineer who designed that ring. So we often forget of about about those people as consumers anyway when we look at this. So what Luminous is the name of the company. That leads me to this conversation about light and the importance of how you create differently. So how is Luminous creating all of this differently and taking away real estate, taking away electricity, taking away heat, taking away all of the things that we spend our time compensating? Because to me, what the technology has become, and correct me if I'm wrong. 
is that we have we have a one central idea that works really really well, and then a thousand band aids because we're using it all the wrong way in order to make sure that it it doesn't break. So is it yeah. possible for us to do it the opposite and be efficient? Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly the problem. So if we spent the better part of the past three years really staring at where modern AI supercomputers get bottlenecked uh, and where they get stuck uh, and where the users get stuck. And it turns out if you stare at this problem for a really long time, something bizarre pops out, uh, which is it's not how fast you can do computations. It's actually not how fast you can add two plus two over and over again. It's actually communication bottleneck. It's communication bottleneck everywhere. Like you wouldn't believe it's communication bottleneck you know, between a memory and a processor, but it's also communication bottlenecked between racks inside a data center uh, at every sort of scale, at the millimeter scale, at the centimeter scale, at the meter scale, and even at the kilometer scale, you're, you're getting bottlenecked on computation. Now, we've known for a long time that the solution to the communications problem is, is optics. Right. This is this is actually not new news. This is what fiber optics was in the 90s. The right. reason why we laid optical cables in the Atlantic Ocean is because light is really good at moving data across long distances in a high bandwidth, low energy fashion. And so over the past 20 years, we've seen the emergence of this new technology, which is called silicon photonics. It's the same physics as fiber optics, but it's just on an integrated circuit. It's on a chip. Mm -hmm. So instead of thinking about things on the kilometer scale, we're thinking about things on the millimeter and micron scale. Wow. Uh, but same physics. And so what we've done is we've taken the silicon photonics technology and we've used it to build the highest bandwidth data links that you've ever seen in your life. Really? And we put them into the computer architecture to solve these communication bottlenecks. And this allows us to build computers that are orders of magnitude more performant than anything you can buy on the market today. Staggering. So, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. It's um, it's letting light flow on short distances, tiny little distances, and not having to, much like our neighborhood, you know, use our copper wires to get to the, you know, some service hub down the road, which then connects to into a fiber network, which is fast. So exactly. your, your internet's really fast to the corner, but it's yeah. not fast in my house, right? Yep. That's and what, what we're doing is we're bringing it's it cool. all the way to the chip level. Hmm. Um, so how did, okay, this is where the imagination part kills me, Marcus, is because it's like, okay, like, how do you, how do you come up with that at this point? Do you go like, <laughs> oh, like, I don't know, the tiny little shards of glass. Like, I don't know. Like, what do you do? Do you spill a coffee on a computer and it, the sugar short circuits just the right way? And you're like, oh, look, I just invented something new. Like, how do you do that? Yeah. So silicon photonics has been, I mean, just as a technology in general, has been kind of developing for the past two decades. I mean, the first silicon photonics company was started in 2001. Uh, you know, at, at this point, it, this is actually, this might surprise you. Most data centers, well, I wouldn't say most, but many data centers in the world already incorporate silicon photonics at some level in their transceivers, which is the way that they're taking data from their chips and putting it onto fiber, fiber cables to yep. move around the data center and you know, outside the data center. Um, it's just gotten to the, the technology just got to the point, though, where it, it, it's now possible to think about uh, it's it's now possible to think about designing larger, more sophisticated products around it. 
And so that that's sort of you know from one sense that 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 that's that's where that's where we ended up. And this has always kind of been the mission of the silicon photonics movement is to eventually put optics inside the computer. Um, on a flip side, sort of the how did you come up with it? Uh, I, I can't I can't take any credit. I I, I um I, I I'm just a guy who uh, who wants his AI to work. Right. <laughs> um, uh, that I have to credit my my co-founder and CTO, Dr. Mitchell Namias, who spent you know the better part of a decade working on this technology. He he actually uh, did his undergrad and his PhD at Princeton, where he was one of the founders of this field called neuromorphic photonics, which is the idea of using optics to simulate the type of uh, activity that happens in the brain. He co-authored the book on the topic. Wow. You know, published 50, 60 papers, has, you know, 2,500 plus citations. So he's a slacker is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. 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 He, yeah. <laughs> that's and just so, amazing. It's amazing to think that someone takes that on as their project too. Yeah. Like that's just staggering. What an interesting yeah. human. So, so, no, I mean, he's I mean, one of the most fascinating, brilliant individuals I've ever had the chance to work with. But when we met, it was kind of a match made in heaven because, you know, he, he understood how to build the computer. And I had been an AI user for a decade and I had struggled with all the problems that we solve. So I knew what I wanted solved. Like I knew what my dream computer would look like. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, he could build the computer and I could write code for it. Wow. Uh, and that was kind of that was kind of how it came to be. And then the dance begins. This is so cool. All right. So because everybody who's listening, all the shift head community that's listening to the program, uh, some of their minds might have exploded at this point. <laughs> Um, what is there anything that, that we can see on, on a consumer level that we would see in public that would be examples of this kind of computing power that you would forecast? Is it autonomous driving? Is it what, what would we see in our lives when this freedom gets sort of gets released? Yeah, let me let me rephrase the question. Yeah, for you. I think the better question to ask Shane is where are you going to not see this? OK, the mandate of artificial intelligence. If you think about it at the broadest level is uh, is to take any conceivable human task and have a computer do it mm -hmm. and have a computer do it to perfection. Um, and until <laughs> until artificial intelligence has has literally replaced every single one of our jobs, and it will have not finished growing. Huh. And our computer is going to be the computer on, on which, all of those artificial intelligence algorithms are developed. So, you know, self-driving cars, to get those AIs to work, they have to be, they're going to be trained on our computer. Siri that you can ask complicated questions to on your phone, that's going to be our computer. Targeted drug discovery, uh, not, ju not just discovering drugs to cure new diseases, but discovering specific drugs and specific treatments for specific, uh, you know, for specific patients. You know that artificial intelligence is going to be is going to be a luminous based hmm. intelligence. You know, let's let you know. Let's talk about uh, eliminating. You know, putting you know eliminating humans from construction and eliminating humans from uh, eliminating humans from mining. That those robots, those AIs, will be trained on luminous. You know, discovering new types of math, new types of science, new types of engineering. You know, simulating new types of energy. Uh, any way you can talk, any any method of letting you talk to your computer, uh, 
there are very few things that the, that 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 artificial intelligence won't touch. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are very you know un- until we until we rid the world of human suffering. Yeah. Well, can you make it uh, know when I need a cup of coffee? Because that'd be really great too. By the way, just saying like a watch that reads me and like we need caffeine. Um, How about one that makes your coffee? See, makes it, brings it to me. This would be awesome. What do we do for jobs though? Do you worry about that part? Because I know there's an awful lot of naysayers with AI that say, you know, well, if we work ourselves, we create the computers that take away our jobs. Isn't that a problem in the big picture, or is that just is that in your eyes? Does that create freedom and opportunity? Yeah. So, uh, Shane, that's a Excellent question. So I have a very, the, 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 the formal mission of luminous computing is to build usable, useful, safe artificial intelligence. Uh, so useful means like I want self-driving cars that work and I want to be able to talk to my computer right. and do the simulate new types of energy thing. Uh, usable means you shouldn't need a 50 person distributed systems team and a $10 billion data center to build things that are useful. Yeah. But I really want to highlight the third thing, which is safe. Um, I want to build artificial intelligence that moves the needle on the progress of the human species and doesn't retract from it. Uh, I, I want to build artificial intelligence that, that's going to make everyone's lives easier, not harder. I mean, I, I, I grew up uh, I grew up in a small farming town. So, I mean, the, <laughs> I, all my neighbors and all my all my hometown friends will be bad at me if if i if i automate and i don't think right um and so you know on the on one side i don't want to i don't want to tell you that automation isn't coming because it's a reality it is coming uh on the flip side one of the key mandates of this company will be figuring out how do we make sure that when we bring that artificial intelligence to fruition that the millions of people that you know will ultimately be stranded uh, are able to get retrained for new jobs, are able or you know are supported in some other way, mm-hmm. uh, and that's a necessary part of our job at Luminous. It doesn't you know one doesn't come without the other, yeah. and that's what we really mean by safe. It has to serve the interest of the species. Um, it can't it can't just be a, a financial story. Yeah. Um, well, it's amazing. Marcus, I, uh, the ability to, I want to acknowledge the ability to look beyond, um, take what's in front of you and sort of break apart the puzzle and, and put it together with no picture. When we put, when we look at puzzles, we have a photo on the box, right? And yet, yeah. so what you've done is you've taken apart a puzzle and you said, well, throw away the box. I'm just going to build a puzzle. And um, that's, it's quite amazing. It's quite amazing to think it's so simple, but it's not easy. And all of those cliches you can put at it. Um, but the opportunity that it brings, at least uh, where it kicks the ball down the hill next, is is quite staggering. Uh, it's Luminous. Um, Mark is, or Marcus is the uh, Luminous Computing CEO. Um, you guys have done a big cycles of funding, and I'll get to that stuff after we're done here. But the um, you know this is real deal stuff, and I just want to acknowledge your hard work, Marcus. I imagine um, that in your world, um, you don't you're always leading and pioneering and going and all these things and and just so you know for people like me it's exciting and i'm grateful for it i really appreciate it shane and i I, you know all all i can say is i am uh i am a product of the people that uh i have the opportunity to work with and you know there's there there's a team of a hundred of the smartest engineers and scientists on earth really driving this and i'm just the one who has the honor of uh being the messenger um and uh yeah it's exciting isn't it yeah it is that's cool well congratulations on all hard work success so far and i look forward to um chatting with you again when the next stage gets hit deal deal 
This is the Shift Podcast. We are connecting to Odessa, Ukraine. Hannah Shalist joins us in conversation. Um, Hannah, are you there? Yes, I am there. Good night to Canada. Oh, thank you so much for being here, uh, Hannah. Most of the news that we are hearing uh, coming out of Ukraine today and it's most certainly not all the news, but it just seems to be the top priority, is that your brothers and sisters in Kyiv uh, this morning um, had a very, very difficult uh, yesterday into last night and into uh, this morning. I was wondering if you could help us out. You're in Odessa. It's on the south coast. I do want to ask about Odessa, but I'm wondering if you can help us understand because your organization is about clarity and information. So what is going on, and can you give us a bit of a summary of what you've seen in the last 12, 24 hours that's been going around Kyiv? Uh, the situation in general on the north is continuing to be quite dangerous because Russians continue the airstrikes and uh, shelling uh, from the territory of the Russian Federation. So that makes them uh, safer, uh, meaning their forces not crossing the border. But at the same time, what they're using is including ballistic missiles. So that's, let's say, 400 kilometers up to 2000 kilometers um, the range of the ammunition. And this night uh, we had quite a shelling, uh, not only around Kyiv when the civilian buildings been uh, targeted, but also quite a heavy strikes against Chernigiv, that is the city on the north border where the uh, Belarus, and uh, also in Kharkiv. Kharkiv, unfortunately, is also continued to be under the constant... Uh, um, uh, uh, over there, uh, that is probably, as for now, the primary target. And each night, approximately at 3 a.m., uh, we know that the new airstrikes are coming and coming. Yeah, there seems to be an awful lot that's been going on. Now, I have not heard much. I heard so much about what was going on in and around Odessa, that Odessa was um, sort of in the crosshairs, if you will, of the southern movement of Russia across Ukraine. Um, and when when I look at... And what is what we have heard here, and the reason why I ask is because obviously your information being um, much more up to date and uh, much more accurate, because you know we are hearing it through other sources here. Uh, Herson and Mikolaev, uh, those those two places were sort of where movement was found by Russians. Have they gone any further, and are they still coming at Odessa? Uh, luckily, no. Mikolaev is still stronger. Um, even at uh, some of the villages around Mikolaev, it was possible to um, stroke back. Uh, and uh, we uh, liberated some of the uh, parts of the roads. Now you're happy even with this. And uh, uh, Mikolaev is still uh, standing completely under the control of uh, the Ukrainian armed forces. And that makes us uh, quite optimistic because uh, approximately 120 kilometers to um, Odessa is under control of uh, Ukrainian armed forces. With Kherson, the situation is much more difficult because um, Russians occupied it. It's not shelling happening over there, but Russians started to arrest uh, people in the city because you need to understand that since it's been occupied, people daily were coming on the streets to the main square with Ukrainian flags and uh, singing anthem and trying to demonstrate that they don't want to be under the occupation, that it is not the 
friendly occupation or surrendering as uh, Russians try to present it in their media. So uh, um, as a result, um, uh, Russian as journalists, they started to arrest um, activists who organized the protest and uh, uh, also the representatives of the security services in the city, at least those whom they managed to find. So as for now, they're trying to establish the police regime of the type that you can see from the videos of, from Moscow. Uh, Hannah Shalis is a PhD foreign policy council Ukrainian Prism is the organization. Uh, just Google Ukrainian Prism. It's prismua.org. Uh, then there's an English button on there, which will translate it for you. Uh, Hannah, we always appreciate you being here. There's one story that we've seen quite a bit of, and I think it is going to be the story of the day to, uh, today for us as we get caught up to you for Tuesday morning. And it's the story from Channel One out of Russia at the nine o'clock news that there was uh, a protester, a staff member, who I believe was an editor, walked in behind the shot of the anchor and uh, had a sign that said, no war, Russians against war. Did you see that story there? Yes, definitely. We saw it yesterday and uh, um, very different feelings. And it's uh, widely discussed among Ukrainian experts and uh, um, just um, uh, people. Uh, on the one hand, some people are happy that these processes are happening. On the other hand, there is quite a serious suspicious about this story. Um, I would be honest. Uh, suspicious or uh, reluctance to uh, support. Uh, very briefly, why? Reluctance because uh, these persons have been working at this TV channel that is the main Russian propaganda uh, for all these years. And it seems like she was okay. Yep. So uh, the wording of the TV program, because where she is a detour, it is the most, most news, pro biggest propaganda, like the open propaganda. And uh, she was working there. She was okay with this. She was not uh, showing any ways of her resistance to this. And then suddenly this. Plus, some people looked and who knows how the Russian TV channels are working. And they said that it looks a little bit staged. Uh, staged, uh, um, maybe not even by her, but by um, some people on the channel to separate them from what is happening in the country. So a little oh, bit to clean uh, their soul. And that's also quite an interesting. It means that uh, even the media that is completely under the control of the uh, Kremlin, and this TV channel is under the uh, legal and uh, financial control of the Kremlin, so uh, uh, trying to, to demonstrate their disagreement with the uh, all those consequences of sanctions and in general with the war. So maybe that is the first signs of some changes in Moscow. Do you how do you hear that? Because um, I'm assuming Ukraine is trying to get info into Moscow, because the reality is, is that the, 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 if the people hypothetically, if the people in Moscow are completely blinded by the information of state controlled media, the cutoff of Facebook, now Instagram, uh, TikTok has changed. All of these external sources are being stopped, if not filtered before they come into Russia. So if if. Uh, they called it the zombification of Russians uh, on this particular article. And if everybody in Russia, for the most part, is being brainwashed, if you will, based on only Russian propaganda, is it possible? I mean, it's got to be possible that Ukraine is trying to um, get push information 
in. I think back to the old days of the World Wars where airplanes used to drop pamphlets and leaflets of propaganda to say, listen to the radio tonight at 7, or, you know, that the, the Germans are losing and the Americans are coming and all of these different things. Do you hear of anything that is going on to try to penetrate that bubble of information that is so tightly held by Russia in Russia? You know, that is interesting because before um, this invasion, a lot of, of the resources being available for Russians, uh, even from Ukraine, and many Ukrainian media tried to keep both Russian and Ukrainian pages, but Russians uh, uh, thought that they should not believe what is written here because we are crazy nationalists and only them and their Kremlin know what is the truth. So only few people from the opposition, from the liberal uh, um, cohort, they were trying to read the news from Ukraine. Uh, when everything started, I know that that few of my university friends contact me and ask where they can read uh, the news uh, where I, I can say that they trust. But that is uh, such a minority that I even can't imagine it is not even 1%. It is 001% of those who wanted to read and we tried to send them and they shared uh, between their colleagues, uh, those with the same views, uh, which websites uh, you can read. And some good Ukrainian news websites started to translate their news in Russian and in English, especially so Russians can uh, um, have access. Um, what is happening now? Um, you know, sometimes our we have information forces, as we call them, that is volunteers who joined trying to penetrate Russian social networks. And people started to get even very uh, creative approaches. For example, Google Maps. Uh, everybody can uh, post the photos there, uh, like what you ate at this restaurant. Yeah, or what is the menu there? Right. So people were uh, taking photos from the war or videos from with the uh, Russian soldiers being captured and posted them as the menu of the Russian restaurants. So wow. uh, plenty of the uh, places, public places in the Russian Federation in different cities started to get uh, hundreds and hundreds of these photos with the information. So people opening uh, where they would like to go tonight uh, also uh, looked and saw these different type of the information. So uh, uh, why not? That's definitely not the centralized efforts. That is more of the volunteers. But people been joining as much as possible trying to demonstrate what is really happening, that Russians need to know what is happening in uh, Ukraine with their own soldiers. It's very interesting. It's old school spycraft when you talk about changing the menu uh, to, to get the to get the information out. That's it's really fascinating. Um, with the internet, from what I understand, in most areas still being intact around Ukraine, uh, those internet connections. Uh, how is the message getting around? Is it through the internet mostly now? Is radio alive? I know that that TV tower in Kiev, the big one, got hit. Um, how, how are Ukrainians keeping in touch with what is going on through internet, through radio, through television? Um, how's it happening? Uh, in most of the places, everything is working. Uh, definitely a lot of uh, channels and radio have problems with the staff because people also needed to evacuate or in Kyiv it became very difficult to work. So some of the studios moved or, or made their second studios in Lviv in western Ukraine and uh, they are calling depending on the situation, you either from Kyiv or from uh, Lviv. Uh, then uh, many of the radio stations, they used to have their um, stream also online. So you always can try to join 
and even they put it's very interesting we have um, such an application dia it is a special application with all your documents uh, with the possibilities of like digitalized government uh, mm-hmm. and uh, there they just added the special bottom uh, um, radio so that's also possible to get uh, information even if all other s- uh, things are not uh, working and uh, then uh, it's definitely social networks and messengers where all the government structures and media created their channels so they can just send you messages as soon as something is uh, uh, happening uh, so uh, th- these things are not bad still problems definitely with the normal coverage that's why for example TV channels united even from the different media groups and started to make a joint uh, marathons when uh, the anchor from one TV is for four hours leave then uh, another TV channel is taking next four hours so media is also trying to cooperate as uh, uh, all other citizens and trying to get uh, this information uh, alive. Uh, it's fascinating to hear from Odessa, um, Hannah Shalist. Uh, Hannah, can you help us understand what you see in Odessa? What if you look out the window? I mean, you guys have had some, from what I understand, some uh, alarms and alerts. Um, has has everything basically still been quiet for you in Odessa? What do you see out your window? Uh, spring is coming, finally. Uh, it was uh, long awaited. Uh, but in general, I mean, the situation is still uh, as it used to be for the last week. Uh, each uh, night and day, we can have one or two sirens um, or, um, let's say, announcement about the uh, um, airstrike, but we haven't heard anything. So it, it was nothing very close um, to the city because usually uh, we can hear uh, because of the flat uh, terrain, so all sounds for 20 kilometers can be easily heard in the downtown i did want to ask you this uh, I, I i always wonder how you're doing hannah and are you sleeping are you eating and all those things i i guess for for me by nature is to worry about uh, the humanity part when you talk about uh, talk to your friends your neighbors and the people around you that are most important hannah how is everybody doing uh, you know, those people who stayed in the city, they are feeling much better. Definitely, they are worrying, they are looking around, they are discussing should they evacuate or not, or at least under which condition to evacuate. But uh, still, it seems to me that people are trying to live their normal lives as much as possible, uh, because that makes you at least in your sound mind, and that's what is the most important in current uh, situation. Uh, we are definitely quite exhausted, because to live three weeks under uh, the constant threat and stress, it is very difficult. Physically, you know, you never could imagine that you can be so tired in the night so we are sleeping just because it's like after you probably work hard uh, for three days uh, mm-hmm. each night you're just falling asleep but at the same time uh, it seems to me we're still quite positive my friends came to me yesterday just with a cake uh, to sit and to drink a cup of coffee and to feel that the life can be normal and we can discuss some plans for the future or to remember our joint trips and that makes people uh, probably feel good when they can help and a lot of people united as a volunteers trying to help those who are in need and in this way they also can uh, feel that they do something important for this country even if they can't fight uh, directly but they can support those in need uh hannah shalist i admire your positivity and your confidence and it's contagious i can tell you that i look forward to our conversations and i am looking forward to connecting again soon thank you so much for being so generous with your time Thank you. This is the Shift Podcast. It is time 
to go skipping. All right, uh, Handy Andy Barrar is here. It is um, handyandymedia.com. It is time for us to go to shifthead.ca and check out the video that he posted there because not only can you see his mushroom poop, you can also see where he skips in his backyard. That's right. Big That's top right. secret. You can see it's like a behind the scenes of the uh, TikTok sensation. Handy Andy does the skip rope. Hey, buddy. How's it going, man? I'm doing well. Thank you very much for asking. I uh, took a little sneak peek at your um, DIY garden beds, your your mushroom poop, and all the things that you've got going. It's 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 planting time where you are. Most places in Canada, not the case. So you're giving everyone else a chance to get a head start on their planning. Yeah, well, even on the West Coast, it's still pretty early. Um, I'm just so bored, you know, stuck at home. I started growing a lot of plants indoors in my vertical garden that's in my kitchen, which people can see on my on my website, handyandymedia.com. And then it moved into my greenhouse. And then, Shane, every day that it was like dry or a nice day outside, I started working on this raised garden bed project that I, I'm sure anyone that's been listening I, knows that I've been talking about forever. So I ended up converting these old fence cedar fence panels into these raised garden beds and i didn't know how many panels i had but now when you go and you go to shiftheads.ca you could actually see the video where i was able to create this raised garden bed all around my fence area now this is the area as you mentioned where i jump rope because right in the middle is my jump rope pad so i think in the future shade this is gonna look really cool because when i jump rope you're gonna have all this like vegetables growing around me it's gonna look uh, super cool. But what I decided to do is the other week we were talking about this. I went and bought some mushroom manure. It was another nice day. I took advantage of that day and I, I started filling up these beds and they're pretty full right now with mushroom manure. I was going to transfer the manure somewhere else, but I just, it's just raining now. And then I decided, you know what? I'm going to run a little experiment. Since I have all these vegetables growing in my greenhouse, I'm going to transplant them in direct mushroom manure and let's see what happens. And uh, so I, I posted this video. You have to see it, folks. Shiftheads.ca. Will these plants survive in this mushroom manure? We're about to find out. A lot of people so far are commenting. They don't think so, but uh, only time will tell. They don't think they're going to survive? Well, okay. So I, I did do a little bit of research before I did this, Shane. And you can't germinate seeds. So you can't start seeds um, in mushroom manure. But if the plant is fairly large like bigger not just a small plant uh, they should work and so i'm just doing simple cold crop stuff that you could grow right now in early spring so like lettuce kale and spinach and 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 they're fairly big like they're a decent size so i think i think it might work you know and you know these these uh, plants are actually from the seeds that i collected back in fall so these are the first time i actually collected my own seeds so i'm just having fun with it Ain't got much going on in my life these days, Shane. Oh, so yeah, hey, I'm running a little yeah. experiment uh, with uh, mushroom manure and some lettuce. And and uh, people, so, if you want to go ahead and see it, you can check this video. It's on my website as well, handyandy.com. Yeah, comment too. Yeah. So, um, you know, some of the people are basically saying it's going to be too acidic and the pH is going to be off and stuff like that. So, yeah, I didn't know mushrooms poop that much, um, <laughs> which leads me to believe that my joke tells everybody that I don't have any idea what mushroom manure really is. 
Yeah, well, it's the actual, the leftovers of when they make mushrooms. And so they put a lot of nutrients into that that medium. And then what happens is the byproduct, there's still lots of nutrients still left in it. And what they'll do is they'll give and sell that back to gardeners and people. But typically you only put a little bit. You're like, you spray, sprinkle it around your, your like garden beds and just put a little bit. I got a whole box of this stuff. So this is going to mm-hmm. be kind of interesting to see um, to see what happens. But it was just because I didn't have enough time to get the garden soil. But what's interesting, Shane, and if you look at this video, one of the boxes I made last year, and it's got a proper um, ratio of mushroom manure and garden soil and also potting soil all mixed together. So this will be the interesting uh, experiment because now I can do like what they call A-B testing where I have two different beds. Ooh. One's full of mushroom manure. The other one's got that nice, nice mixture. And it makes for yeah. great videos, you know. If, as long as for the next couple of weeks, we can all watch to see what happens. But some people, yeah, they're right. It is very acidic. But the plants that I'm putting in, I didn't see any list online that says you can't do that. So get your popcorn ready, folks. We're about to see. If this We're about to see. And mushroom manure. My dad, yeah. my dad used to have a friend who grew cucumbers and used to take like a proper cucumber greenhouse big business thing, and um, and used to take they had like these tube bags that they would have their dirt in to grow cucumbers, and they would do a certain number of cycles, and then they weren't the pH or the the nutrients weren't as high, so then they would just again sell those off to normal gardeners because they needed a different level of it. So, but it was incredibly incredibly healthy stuff. So I'm curious to see where this goes. This could be. Uh, uh, this could be interesting. I think this evidence of um, your plan here for the show tonight, Andy, is is evidence of your. I got not much going on because we're doing a and now for something completely different topic: spring cleaning with Handy Andy um, and vinegar. <laughs> you really have been on the Google. Yeah, well, no, there's a there's a method to the madness, Shane. I didn't tell you this, but uh, Global News BC is coming to my house at the end of the month to film a smart home segment. And so oh, cool. I thought, you know, I should probably do some spring cleaning before we do some filming uh, inside my house. And so then I started thinking, okay, you know, how can I, you know, cut costs and, and, and clean around the house using ingredients that I already have? And of course, everybody knows that vinegar is a great cleaning medium for, for stuff. However, Dig, doing in my research, I learned there's a lot of things that you should not be cleaning with vinegar. So I thought I should really? mention some of those to help people to uh, avoid any kind of future problems because you might think it's this universal cleaner, but apparently not. So things you should not clean with vinegar, kitchen knives. French so fries. Knives, oh, yeah, it's a bad idea. It's an acidic liquid. Kitchen It'll corrode the, the knives, yeah. Well, I thought, but I thought that in the restaurants, don't they use like a water and vinegar polish thing? I, I think they might use a, a diluted one, but if it is too concentrated, it because hmm. of the acidity, it'll corrode the metal and dull the knife's really? edges. So instead, you're just supposed to use normal soap and warm water to clean your knives. And of course, you want to make sure you dry it before you put it back in storage. I actually have a towel. This is a fun fact. I have a separate towel just to dry my knives every time I clean it. Um, that's how much I use uh, my chef knife at, at home. So it's a that's a good tip to have. Don't use vinegar with your knives. All right. That is a fun like fact. Is there a, yeah, that's I, I do like your tips. What's um so is there a couple other ones you got on the on the list that they can toss our way here? Or, yeah. So uh, if we're talking about surfaces, so marble, granite and ceramic tiles, all three you want to avoid using vinegar 
because with marble, it will react with the natural mar marble and cause defects in the surface. With granite, if you spray with the vinegar solution, you can make them dull and cause them to lose their shine over time. And also ceramic tiles, the acidic uh, liquid can eat into the grout and dissolve the finish on the tiles. So three things you want to avoid are also not cleaning with vinegar. So sometimes just normal soap can go a long way. Um, and also it, your dishwasher, anything that has rubber, okay? Any kind of moving parts with rubber, you want to avoid using vinegar because that will corrode. Even your cell phone screen and your computer screens, another two things you do not want to coat or, or clean, sorry, with vinegar because um, it will strip the protective coating off the screens. A lot of people don't know <laughs> that, myself included. So uh, another thing you want to do. So even your washing machine, because of the rubber parts in there, that's another thing that you want to avoid cleaning with vinegar. So as great as vinegar is, uh, there are some things that you just don't want to clean it. And uh, I made a good note of that before I start my epic and I mean epic spring cleaning job. Like even the windowsills, Shane, I'm going to clean everything uh, next week. It's going to be a, a big, big screening, spring cleaning, which I recommend everybody do, especially as we get out of winter uh, and before we go outside. What about, um, have you done the um, Tide and Tide powder and bleach solution? Have you ever tried that? No, no. I'm all about cleaning hacks. So, so do tell. Oh, man, this is like the cleaning hack of cleaning hacks. Yeah, Go Clean Co. is um, is this group that that they they share that and and you basically I use it to clean virtually everything, uh, sinks, counters, bathtubs. Uh, use it to clean blinds, window sills. Um, they have these little brushes. You know what? Actually, we should do that. We should get uh, see if we can get them to come on because they're going to do it justice. I'm not. Um, and uh, but they have these little uh, brushes at the dollar store. They're kind of like a giant toothbrush. We've got a bit of a, more like a hockey stick looking thing. Oh, yeah. And they get all the nooks and crannies and all that stuff. And you dilute it, of course, the bleach and make sure you get the right, the right mixture. And uh, it's amazing. It's amazing how clean gets and how easy it is to clean with. It's one of those another, professional cleaners secrets. I think another thing that I talked about on this show before, one of my favorite cleaning gadgets is the drill brush. I think we, we talked uh, about that. It's yeah. a brush that you put on top uh, or attached to your, to your battery powered drill. And this thing can spin, man. If you have like a little uh, a carpet stain and you put this and use the drill brush, man, you can go the, – the rotations go so fast. Uh, it is like the, the lazy man's gr uh, simple way to, to clean. Even grout, you, if you got – they come in different sizes. So you can even clean the little grout between the tiles with the drill brush. Uh, but you just want to make sure you wear eye-protecting cover because the drill spins so much, all that – cleaning solution just like right fly flies all around so you, you can get kind of messy uh if you don't have the proper cleaning equipment ready for it handy andy barrar is with us here on the shift handyandymedia.com now we are going into the realm of digital ethics in the uh, in the media with uh, handy andy so there's a new law in the uk and uh let's be um let's be gentle with our description of the pictures and maybe use the letter D, okay? Um, the uh, of what this is uh, a new law, which is uh, I think it's fantastic. Uh, I have questions though, so tell us about this new law in the UK that should protect hopefully some people's privacy and surprise online. Yeah, so it's unfortunate that this law even has to be in place, shame. But uh, 
cyber flashing. So this is actually a thing. Now, when in the olden days, when we talked about a flasher, you typically right. think of some guy wearing a trench coat, you know, who opens it oh, up right. and then creates like shock. Well, that those or the those, streaker those, at a football game, something like yeah. that. Yeah. But those folks have now gone into the digital age. And so cyber flashing is their new MO, their modus operandi. And essentially what they're using is the technology that is built in our smartphones. Namely, for iPhones, there is a feature called AirDrop, where you can drop and share files with people that are nearby you. And what they're finding in the UK, and especially in public places, is young women are suddenly getting these uh, explicit pictures airdrop to them and and their pictures uh, d pictures as, as you were saying or you know pictures of guys is junk essentially and 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 the thing is is the way this technology works is you just kind of receive it based upon the proximity that somebody is within 32 feet which is kind of the distance that bluetooth can can share uh, and transfer files from and so it's become such a big issue that the uk actually is now criminalizing cyber flashing and so they're making new laws that uh, to crack down on people and to try to prevent people from doing this the issue is it is very very difficult to prosecute and and it opens up a bigger question Shane like why are people even doing this like like who mm -hmm. hurt you to, to make you want to do this kind of stuff even like mm -hmm. the psychology of flashing I think it, if I remember from when I studied in psychology and in, in university it was they got off from the the shock. So I think mm -hmm. what is happening is that person who is sending that that file can see that person open their phone and that that see that shock. I, that's the only thing I can kind of muster in my head why someone would do this. But it is such a big problem. I didn't realize just how much like many young women get sent these photos. If it's not just in a public place, but on other apps like dating apps, it's just a real unfortunate problem that. I don't think a lot of people realize just how big it is. Well, and I think that um, I think that a lot of people um, are, you know, you give out a phone number or on Snapchat, you get someone's snap or or maybe a dating app and like, hey, baby. And then all of a sudden, instead of uh, a nice conversation about, you know, do you like uh, chicken or beef? It turns into a uh, a con like here. Here's a picture of me. You know, want to hook up. I mean, that's been sort of that too and it's it's very concerning and you having kids you sort of look at that i know that my son the uh the airdrop game they um they'll go to a hockey game if you go to a hockey game and you check out your airdrop on an iphone you can see usually hundreds of people come up because it is a setting on your phone you can have nobody can airdrop you contacts only or everyone and so you can turn it off so but a lot of people don't have it turned off and so it's um I, I have contacts only because my kids and I use it all the time. But you're right, it's it's a very scary thing and all of a sudden it's like blink, you have a new picture and it's on your now it's on your phone and it's in your photo roll and then you it's in your deleted items or wherever you put it, right? So it's not good, especially if you know your kids use your phone. Another thing. So um yeah, I'm good. Thanks for bringing it up. I had no idea that a cyber flashing was the name of it, and now they're turning into um the Richard Picks as being a, a crime. Um, that's, that's certainly interesting. Okay. So let's talk about TikTok influencers. There was some new stories today coming out as Instagram was getting turned off. Uh, Instagram, 
um, influencers who were crying and, oh my God, I'm losing my whole career. And, or some yeah. of them are like, I don't do this for the money. I do it for the, the people or whatever. It, it's not really a good look on, on people and why they want to be popular on the internet, but they're getting that turned off. Russian TikTok people getting paid to spread, uh, info. And keep in mind, TikTok is working inside Russia only for inside Russia. You can't really influence from the inside and outside, but because they've created that bubble. But tell us what's going on there. Yeah, so really two big things, and you kind of mentioned is Instagram is now being shut down in Russia. And so all of these influencers, and we, we think about these influencers across the globe. Well, if you were an influencer in Russia and you, you could see them like literally crying, they're like, my life is on this app. And it, it's 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 sad, but at the same time, you you know, you realize just how much many people have created a business online through these these platforms. And what we saw with TikTok is the Russian government has finally started to modernize their their propaganda and what they were doing was creating a Telegram channel. Telegram is another app, a communication app that's very popular in Russia. And they created a channel and they started recruiting all the big TikTok influencers on Russia. And and the way they got them originally was, oh, we're going to we want to do some paid content for a betting app or or something, you know, that seems subtle. And then all of a sudden, they started to send them scripts and tell them to make all these uh, TikTok videos promoting the the Russia propaganda. And now it's be, it's become exposed. And now we see what they're doing. Uh, the the reality is is that that uh, what TikTok did is TikTok basically said that they weren't going to allow posting of new videos um, from outside into Russia and Russia posting new videos uh, inside and all that stuff. Now, they they spun it as being, hey, look, at we're taking a stand on Russia. But the reality is that you can still post inside Russia. Certain people can still post and share info, be it right or wrong info. And so I, I speculated, only speculated, that it's possible that um that the reality is is TikTok's actually taking a stand for Russia because they're allowing Russia to keep their info bubble tight. So you are seeing uh, some reports that influencers on TikTok are still working and they're working it for the government. Yeah, and it's 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 kind of unfortunate because these are really young people who probably you know, our, our so-called influencers who just take up these gigs to like, hey, say this about my brand and uh, I'll pay you. And then all of a sudden they get this, te- they're in this Telegram channel where this administrator is telling them, hey, we want you to make these videos. Here's what we want you to say. Here's a script. We want you to take photos from this place and we want you to use this music. So they like laid everything out. We want you to use these hashtags and create content with this, you know, entire package that we have put together with you, and then we'll pay you. And so a lot of these young people started making these videos. And what these videos were essentially were pro-Kremlin about why they need to go inside Ukraine and and how they have to protect because the Ukrainians are are killing the people in the Donbass region and it's a genocide. And what was interesting is because these people are really young, I don't think the government said, okay, here, use the script. I don't think they said like read it verbatim, but that's what a lot of these young people did. And they used the exact same music and they basically just followed orders and created all these videos. And so it becomes quite obvious when you look at all these videos that this is like a a highly coordinated campaign by the Kremlin. So I think what the Kremlin was doing, they're like, okay, we'll have our state media, 
for all the old people who watch TV. And then we'll get all these influencers to make our content on TikTok. And then we have the entire demographic group um, trying to control the message. But what is happening now is now you have other TikTokers who are compiling these videos, calling out these other TikTokers for selling out. So it's just like, I went down this rabbit hole in Russian TikTok, um, Shane, and it's just really interesting to see what's happening because, you know, we've had conflicts before, but I've never seen social media play such an integral part, especially as you're seeing apps like Instagram now being taken away. And like you said, TikTok, a Chinese company, which is still inside Russia that's being used. And, and a lot of these influencers, when it's all said and done, you know, this is on the internet. So their reputations about taking this money from the Russian government could hurt them in the long run, um, which is kind of sad because they are probably young and they probably just think it's another uh, Instagram or influencer campaign that I'm that I'm making. But this one could potentially hurt their careers long after uh, this conflict is over. Well, there's going to be a credibility issue if the information, the truth ever comes out. Now, I don't know if you heard the story. Uh, a dissenting employee entered the studio on Russia's most watched evening news broadcast, holding up a poster saying no war. And it had details about your being lied to written in Russian on it on a poster in behind the, the six o'clock anchor or whatever time they do the, the oh, 9 p.m. news. Um, and st- standing there holding this and then walking away. Now, um, this uh, it was it was an item about Belarus, and this was a dissenting employee who basically was like, "We can't do this anymore. They can't be the only ones." Yet the example has been set. Some of the other reporting from other channels has said um, that the person entered in with the poster, "Stop the war! Don't believe the propaganda." Here they are lying to you, um, and then it says Russians against the war in English. That the lawyer doesn't can't find where this person has gone. Yeah. Yeah, so she did this and it was very brave of her because they made those new laws where if you say anything bad about the Russian military, any any fake news, basically, yeah, what's what they call it, um, that you automatically can go up to 15 years in prison. So she very well being that she was part of Channel One knew that this was going to happen and she still took that risk. And I think it's just going to take that Shane. There was people on the street who just had a blank sign. It didn't even say anything. It was just a mm-hmm. piece of paper that was blank. They got taken away as well. Mm-hmm. Like that is about as silent as a protest you can get. And they still got taken just for walking around with a, a blank sign. But, um, you know, when, when you look at social media, I, I think like those kind of things of what she did, that was obviously going to spread online. People are going to see that. And you just hope that more people will we'll take to the streets because they, they can do it if they have enough size. You can't put everybody in jail, you know? And and I think well, over time, as long as that message gets out, the, the government in this day and age cannot control the message. You can't, it, this isn't like the 1980s, um, you know, and you just have one way of, of getting your information in Russia. So we'll, well see what happens with the young people. I'm very interested on the young people and how, they're thinking about this war in Russia right now because they're not having Apple products. They can't use, they can't play nope. video games and now nope. they can't use Instagram. So let's see what, what, how long they can handle this. Well, at what point does it not make sense anymore that the entire world is shutting you down um, because of a special operation? I mean, that, that's rea- that's the reality. There, there could be a, a very nasty revolt uh, once the information comes through and, and when they control the message that that's the, we've seen it in all countries when you control the message, you control the outcome. 
And that's why they used to drop leaflets, right? Fly over, yeah. drop leaflets and everything else, uh, propaganda style. And of course, though, you know, there's always propaganda on both sides and, and, and are they going to believe it? Cause they know it's going to be propaganda for the other side. There's another story about, uh, OVD info, uh, monitors this stuff. They, they watch these things about a, uh, a young lady who, uh, father's Ukrainian mother is Russian and what a place she's stuck in posted a video online, uh, saying, you know, I'm ashamed and we're zombified in Russia is what it is. So it's mind blowing. Anyway, thanks for bringing this to the, um, to our attention, handyandymedia.com. Follow the YouTube page, shiftheads.ca. You can check out the videos on our Facebook group as well. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.